Hello everyone. So today we are going to be taking a really in-depth, expanded, deep dive look into a list that I've been running a lot lately. And this is actually a 50-point variant of the 40-point Ramsey Snow Stark list that I posted, um, I believe, last week. Uh, we're going to start from scratch on here, but if you want to recap that podcast, I give some general insights over the list, but we're really going to get into it today about why I like this list, why I've been playing it, and some general things to understand when you are playing the game. And the thing is, is that when you're making a list, you really need to know the intricacies of your list. You know it inside and out, you need to know what it's good at, what it is bad at, how it's going to perform in various game modes. All that information is really pertinent and very important, okay? There's a difference between a list that you're intimately familiar with and one that you were just playing you know, that you may have just recently made up or just, you know, you're playing just to try out, okay? The point of this one is to really take a list that I've been playing extensively for a while and really kind of explain my thought processes over why it exists, why the unit choices are what they are, why certain choices were made that others were not, and, you know, to take all those things into consideration and really give you a really deep look into that whole process. I don't know how long this is going to be. I figure it's probably going to be a... Uh, fairly sizable, but we're just going to get into it. Uh, one thing I do want to preface this with is that in standard tournament formats, you have the option of bringing two lists. That's a whole nother beast, okay? Prepping for a tournament, that's its own thing. When I'm making this list here, I want this one here as one that I can bring to a table against any opponent, um, any game mode that we choose, and have it function well, okay? Uh, that's something I see a lot of people doing, by the way, is that they'll decide on their opponent and their game mode and then cater list that while that's fine that's a little backwards to me um compared to how like traditionally i would play games where you know you're going to make a list that is a general all comers list we're good for scenarios and then play those scenarios and opponents not tailor it the other way around i mean if you do that that's fine but that's not the way i do things not the way my game group does things okay so let's get into it i'm going to give you the list and then we are going to just break down everything from there. So starting off, we have our commander who is going to be Ramsey Snow, the Bastard of Bolton. He is sitting in tight with a unit of House Umber Great Axes. We have two units of House Bolton Bastards Girls, each of them with a Kranigman Warden. One unit of generic uh, House Bolton Cutthroats, no attachment. One unit of House Stark Sworn Swords, no attachment. One unit of House Umber Berserkers with uh, Roos Bolton, the Leech Lord, attached to them. And then two NCUs in the form of Roderick Cassiel and uh, Sansa Stark, coming out at 50 points. So the first thing we're going to look at is um, why am I playing this list? Well, I am a big fan of the neutral faction and uh, House Bolton in particular. If you haven't been able to tell that since day one. Um, and there's a bunch of different playstyles you can play of them. The reason I chose Starks over Lannisters in this case, or even going pure neutral, is because the Stark tactics deck and units cater themselves to offensive play. And Ramsey Snow specifically really likes offensive maneuvers. Um, his And really House Bolton as a whole is all about kind of glass cannon, wanting to get in there deal a bunch of damage. The Starks really complement that. Roos is more of a control commander. Ramsey is more of a, I'm going to go up and make you dead commander and i feel that he leans more toward the starks of course you can play them both you know starks or lannisters or pure neutral you know as you've seen in my previous list it's all a matter of your personal taste for my personal playstyle, i like going aggressive so the starks really favor me now keep in mind as well i really like the idea of pure neutral 
but at the time I will be one of the first ones to admit their options are a little thin so therefore splashing in uh, one of the other factions here which does reduce your total neutral forces to 50% um, is going to garner you more options now as the neutral faction grows and more options come out you know you can go back and re-explore running a full neutral list but for the time being uh, with your only three unit options and you know a handful of NCUs and commanders this is why I prefer going with one of the other uh, factions, and in this case, Starks, because the aggressive nature favors my playstyle more than the Lannisters, who are more control-oriented. Okay, that being said, let's go ahead and look at the Stark Tactics deck and Ramsey's Tactics cards as to why these synergize so well. So Ramsey is going to have his three Tactics cards with Sadistic Games, Cruel Methods, and Our Blades Are Sharp. Kind of the linchpin of his general tactics is going to be sadistic games. This is the start of a friendly turn. Your opponent chooses one of the following effects, and then you gain one of those effects. It's either two enemy combat units become panicked, or one enemy combat unit suffers D3 plus two automatic hits. Neither one is a bad effect. Really, you're hoping a lot of the times your opponent's going to give you those panic tokens. Uh, because a lot of the Bolton units are going to gain benefits against panicked enemies, you are going to, his other tactics cards are going to give you bonuses against panicked enemies, and in general, it's just a good stat effect. The D3 plus 2 hits is, of course, another fantastic option uh, if your opponent gives that to you, but most of the time, I would prefer them to let me make them panicked. Of course, the idea here is to put them into a bad situation where, regardless of which one they choose, it's going to be bad for them, but I always prefer them, you know, giving myself, uh, giving me the option to make their units panicked. A reason for this as well is because these Starks in general, when you're playing this list, they don't have a lot of access to condition tokens innately. And Ramsey again and them, they really want to force the enemy to make a bunch of nasty panic checks, uh, checks because you also have a, a bunch of Vicious in your list. You have um, other effects that are triggering off of that. So you're going to need every source of panic you can get. And this is one of those cards that's going to provide that to you. The next one we have is Our Blades Are Sharp. One of the aforementioned cards that's going to gain bonus if the enemy is panicked. Our blades are sharp is when a friendly unit makes a melee attack. If they're targeting a panicked enemy, this attack gains plus one to hit and rolls plus two dice. If this is a house Bolton unit, the defender also becomes vulnerable. So in this situation here, you have the nastiness that is these Stark combat units, gaining plus one to hit, which is on average going to give you a two plus to hit, and then rolling two additional dice, which because we're now hitting on two plus is almost going to equal two additional hits. If they're House Bolton unit, the defender also becomes vulnerable. Something I like about this list as well is that it can throw out a ton of vulnerable onto the enemy. So you have the innate uh, Bolton tactics of you're already going to be hitting the enemy's morale via panic and vicious. Then you are also going to have a bunch of vulnerable being thrown on there as well. So really, there is no defense that you cannot bypass. You're going to have vulnerable to get through heavy uh, armor defense units. You're going to have panic tokens and vicious to get through anything that's got a good morale save or something that, you know, you, you know you're just a versatile threat. Okay, so looking at our blades are sharp. Our main combat units we have, the House Umber Berserkers. These guys are now going to be hitting on 2+, rolling an upwards of 12 dice with innate sundering. Um, because our unit of House Bolton, or sorry, <laughs> House Bolton Berserkers, uh, House Umber Berserkers has Roos Bolton attached to them, they count as a House Bolton unit, so you're going to be giving them vulnerable as well. So now you have a combat unit that's hitting on twos, rolling a minimal of 10 dice, um, and has Sundering with the enemy being vulnerable. That's a stupid, obscene amount of damage on there, okay? So that's just an example of one of your combat units there. Um, if you play this on the House Umber Great Axes, okay, yeah, you're going to get the... Um, 
plus two additional dice, which is nice. It's going to raise their Executioner's Fury to six dice or their Mighty Cleave to uh, eight dice. Those are both at damage ranks. The plus two, uh, sorry, plus one to hit is a little wasted on them because Executioner's Fury already hits on twos, but Mighty Cleave is going to gain a two plus to hit. Okay, great. Uh, Mighty Cleave rolling between eight to ten dice with the enemy being vulnerable is a stupid, obscene amount of damage. Okay? If you're sensing a pattern here of all your units are just meant to do a ton of damage, congrats, you're getting in the mind space to play this list. I never said it was overly complicated, I just said, you know, it was fun and that's what it does. Okay? Um, with the Bastards Girls, giving them plus one to hit. Hey, congrats, guess what? We're now in another unit in army that is now hitting on twos, rolling an upwards of eight dice. The vulnerable on them is okay, but really these guys need to be hitting in the flanks more than anything else, so you're going to get de facto sundering with that as well. Uh, they're also innately uh, House Bolton, so we don't have to do anything special to let them trigger that extra vulnerable. The fact that we also have a Kranogman Warden with them as well means that uh, they are going to be re-rolling most of their attacks if you play them correctly. So now you're hitting on twos, rolling... Um, eight between uh, eight and five dice. Granted, you're using to be eight because they only have a drop off at the last rank, and you're hitting on twos of rerolls. Okay, ton of damage. At that point, you're just running numbers. House Bolton Cutthroats again, hitting on two plus, rolling upwards of ten dice. Okay, you're seeing a theme here that every single unit in this army with this card is basically hitting on a two plus and rolling a ton of dice. Okay, um, the weakest one, which is the irony there, is the uh. Uh, Stark Sworn Swords that we have, which can also get to rolling plus uh, two plus to hit with critical blow due to their Stark Fury ability. So as you see, this is just an insanely powerful card that we have uh, in our arsenal here to really push out that damage when we need to. The last card that we have for Ramsey is probably my favorite of his three, and that is Cruel Methods. As the start of the round, this is the start of the round. It is before anything has activated. Um, it doesn't matter, you know, who's going first. One friendly unit make a free attack action. If it does not destroy an enemy, it must make a panic test and suffers minus three to its roll. If you're targeting a House Bolton unit this, it may use its highest value attack die and may reroll any misses. Okay, so the main weakness of a lot of House uh, Bolton and neutral stuff, and actually Lannisters if you were to run that splash, is that you've got some really kind of piss poor morale values in that army. Um, not so with the Starks, especially House Umber. This card right here is another one of those uh, game changers, where you can have a unit of Berserkers, which again in this list are House Umber units. They're going to get to make a free attack action. They're going to roll their highest value attack die, so 10 dice. They're going to reroll any misses, um, hitting on threes. And even if they don't destroy the enemy, they're going to suffer a panic test of minus three. Okay, they've got a baseline four, so now that's going to be raised up to a seven. Oh no. It's an average roll I need to make. Uh, even the House Umber Great Axes, um, in this case, you're going to just cleave through something. You're going to use your Executioner's Fury. And even if you suffer a minus three, yeah, you're on a nine at that point, but you can suffer the losses. You've got your uh, Bolton's Bastards Girls. They've got a baseline of a five. So even a minus three, you're rolling an eight. But okay, whatever. That's one below your average roll. And again, you don't really have any drop off on your attack dice until you hit your last rank. This card synergizes so well with just every single unit in your army that, you know, it's just, it's great. And it's going to allow you to really stack that damage up because let's say you have the last activation in the round and you're going first next round. That's a potential of three attacks in a row with the same unit that you can throw out. If there's your last activation and then start of the round, you go cruel methods, you let them attack again and then it's your turn and then they attack. 
they're going to wipe something out. There's not a single unit in your army that's not going to have that much damage potential to just wreck whatever you need to make dead. So that's the other thing about this list that I really like is that it is really good at executing targets. There's not a single thing that you will come across that this list cannot make dead with, I'm not going to say minimal effort because it still requires like strategy setup and tactics, but you have a lot easier times just removing threats from the table. And if your opponent is running a list that is really heavily reliant on a single unit um, to really carry them, like say uh, a unit of Bolton flayed men with the mountain that rides attached. Okay, that's 13 points wrapped up in their army. Um, any one of your units that's in this army can take that unit out with this combination, okay? Even if it's just a vanilla unit of sworn swords sitting at five points, okay? With just the stupid amount of damage output you can stick out there, you can take them down. And that's just if you have any of those cards in combo. So let's look at the generic Stark Tactics cards and see what they're really bringing to this. First off, you have Northern Ferocity. Uh, when MEU makes a melee attack, the attack gains Sundering. This is great because none of your units, save for the Berserkers, have Sundering base. So this is never going to be a lost card. Uh, your Bastards Girls, you know, again, you're throwing out a bunch of attacks on your melee. Your Cutthroats absolutely love this card. And then your Umber Great Axes, yes, they like it with Mighty Cleave when they are not using Executioner's Fury. But in general, this card is just so good and just it's great to throw down to, again, help with threat removal. Now, the secondary effect of it, uh, if you only have one remaining rank, you also gain Vicious. That's a nice addition because the Starks in general are going to be better when they're only reduced down to one rank. Because you're running such a heavy amount of neutral forces, again, half your army here, that effect is a little lost, but still, it's just a bonus, okay? That's all you have to view it as. You play this card when you need Sundering. When you're hitting something in the flanks to really double down to give them a minus one and then another minus one, you know, that's when you play this card. The secondary effect is just kind of, you know, nice to have, but not necessary. Now, the actual uh, tactic zone trigger on this, if you control the combat zone, the defender also becomes vulnerable, is yet another example of how much vulnerable this list can throw out. Um, I don't know if I touched on it previously, but you have vulnerable coming from the Bastards Girls ranged attack. You have vulnerable coming from the um, House Bolton Cutthroats. You have vulnerable coming from Roderick Cassil claiming the combat zone. You have it coming from Northern Ferocity. You just have it a ton of places uh, throughout this list. And this is just another example of that. Devastating Impact. When a friendly unit charges, you may reroll your charge distance die, and the attack deals plus two automatic hits. So, I've had a lot of people that they look at the Bastards Girls, and because I think they don't do anything really just that impressive, they don't have Sundering or some super cool ability, they really ride them off. But the Bastards Girls are a workhorse unit, especially since in this list we have stuck a Kranig Mid Warden with them. So we get to double up on their reroll ability. Devastating Impact is basically like a tailor-made card for them, uh, because they get to fire into melee, or sorry, fire into a unit, um, potentially cause them to become vulnerable, and then charge in. Devastating Impact allows them to get plus two automatic hits and reroll their charge distance, allowing you to really make some long-distance charges with a unit that you otherwise might not have been so comfortable making. So something I want to mention with the Bastards Girls is this is how to properly utilize them in that ability. So you have Tracker's Bow is a long-ranged attack. It's only four dice, but it hits on threes. The main purpose of this is just to weaken someone up and give you a really, really stupid long charge range and potentially make them vulnerable. Because when you activate them, you're going to be within long range, so 12 inches. Let's say you're at the peak distance away of 12. You're going to get a two-inch shift because you're making a range attack, so boom, now you're 10 inches away. Uh, you're going to then fire at them with your tracker's bow. 
you now need to make a charge roll of a five plus, okay? And that's usually a little risky to do because you're banking on a 33% chance of actually passing that. With de devastating impact though, you get to reroll the die. If you control the maneuver zone, then you automatically succeed that and you do plus two automatic wounds instead. So you can really make those super long charges away. Technically you could have char uh, started um, even a little bit further than that just because of your two inch shift. Now, of course, don't recommend that because not a good thing to do there. But still, this allows you to really just close the gap on units and get into places that otherwise you couldn't do. And again, the Bastards Girls are one of those units that really need to be hitting flanks. And if they do charge into something's flank with devastating impact, they're at worst rolling eight dice, re-rolling misses, and causing upwards of eight hits that are going to cause a minus one to the enemy. If you uh, made them vulnerable beforehand, that's all the better. So again, it's an obscenely powerful card uh, when played correctly. Now, your other units are, of course, going to benefit from charging. Um, the unit of House Umber Berserkers that you have with Roost attached to them, they have Ferocious Assault. So anytime they successfully charge an enemy, they become panicked. So you're going to have a unit that's dealing extra automatic hits. Each of those hits is going to benefit from the baseline Sundering that the um, Berserkers have built in, and the opponent's going to be panicked. So you're going to mulch through their armor and their morale as well when they make that panic test. So again, just another fantastic card. The North remembers. When a friendly unit is destroyed, target a friendly unit and remove an activation token from them, or they may restore three wounds. If you control the combat zone, they gain both effects instead. So one of the uh, things about this list is that it is fairly glass cannon. We only have one semi-resilient unit in the entire army. So your units are going to die. I mean, it's just something that's going to happen. You're not really meant to outlast the opponent. You're in there to kill them and make them dead before you die. This card here plays into that strategy and tactics of it because you need to go into the game understanding that your units are going to suffer heavy losses and be wiped out if they get even the slightest, slight, sorry, slightly, if they even get slightly focused at all by the enemy, they're just going to disappear. Bastards Girls, while they do have a 5-plus on their morale save, which is really good, they only have a 6-plus defense. Okay, Your Berserkers, 5-plus defense, 4-plus morale. Again, all your units, if they are focused down, can really be taken out. This is going to help mitigate that a lot, though, by the fact that when your unit's destroyed, you can reactivate another unit and just push out some more damage with them. So I feel that really those glass cannon style armies, the North Remembers is fantastic with them, and this is one of the most glass cannon armies you can be running. Sudden charge. When you claim any zone on the tactics board, you may replace the zone's effect with you make a free charge action. Um, usually when you're playing Starks, this can potentially be one of the most powerful cards in your arsenal. I actually find it to be one of the weaker cards in um, this list. And the thing is, saying that Sudden Charge is one of the weaker cards uh, in your list, that's quite an accomplishment because it's stupid powerful in the right situations as well. It's just that usually I don't have a lot of maneuverability problems with this list because my units can really get in there because I've got Bastards Girls who can just charge whenever they you know kind of want to. Um, this card here sees situational usage at best. Usually I will use this card if I'm trying to like block an opponent's uh, opponent from claiming a zone, such as like taking the crown zone if um, I'm playing against Lannisters, or if there's a unit that I really need to make sure doesn't get healed back up, you can take the wealth zone and just block that off. But usually if it's another zone, such as the combat zone, the tactic zone, or the maneuver zone, usually I want that effect. So I don't tend to replace that. The secondary effect of this card, though, is if you control the maneuver zone, any enemy you charge becomes vulnerable. 
I'm just going to throw that out there because, again, it is another source of throwing down vulnerable in this army. But overall, though, it is my um, the weakest card in the deck. And again, I just want to point out how ridiculous of a statement that is. Next card we have is Swift Advance. This card here is fantastic and is one of the reasons why I'm running the Dual Bastards Girls in this list because this allows you to really get into the flanks and really hit a unit where it hurts, especially with the Bastards Girls. So you activate them, they're going to move up their five inches, turn in someone's flank, they're going to get their, make their range attack, giving the target a minus one to their defense, a minus one to their panic check, charge in there and convey those negatives again as you're re-rolling every single one of these dice because of the Kranigman Warden that you have stuck with them. Okay, This is another one of those cards, though, if you control the maneuver zone, the unit is going to gain plus one speed and be able to reroll their charge distance. Usually, I don't need a lot of those effects because of the extra positioning this card has already given me, but that's just a little extra gravy on top for really making some of those longer charges, especially because, again, I talked about the Bastards Girls. Sometimes you are going to be making charges from 12 inches away or so where you're going to um, need to roll a five or six. The plus one speed on this and the reroll is going to help you out with that. Next one we're going to have is going to be Direwolf's Fervor, which is going to give you additional help uh, bonuses to your panic test. So I actually will take that back when I said before about Sudden Charge. This card here is probably going to be the weakest one in your deck just because the list that I am running is already really good at making morale saves and doesn't really care about panic too much. This is just going to kind of solidify the fact that I'm really not going to ever suffer some heavy losses. It's nice, like, you know, if an opponent's going to zap you of Cersei and give you a minus three, you can throw this on there and counter it a little bit. But frankly, most of my units, I don't really, you know, care too much about when they make panic tests. Uh, you know, the worst panic I have in my entire army is a single unit of five-point bolt and cutthroats that are a seven-plus. Everything else is a six-plus, if not better. So... You know, I just don't really care. And if they want to devote resources to taking down that five-point unit, then, hey, more power to them. The secondary effect of this, which is if you control the combat zone, one enemy engaged with the unit that uh, passed the check um, suffers D3 wounds. Um, sorry, it's when they suffer the check. I just want to clarify there. You don't have to pass it. It's just the enemy can suffer D3 wounds. This is a nice little um, kind of clutch play here. Say if, you know, someone's attacking you with the mountain that rides and just you need to get some auto wounds in there. I mean, auto wounds are never going to be a bad thing, so that's really the part of this that makes me the most excited, is really just that effect there. But otherwise, it's a situationally useful card. I mean, don't really hold it to your hand for, you know, thinking that's going to make some type of power play. Just play it, you know, get rid of it and get some use out of it, and then move on with the rest of your cards. And the last one we have is Winter is Coming. When a friendly unit declares a charge, uh, the opponent may not play tactics cards or use orders for the remainder of the turn. If you control the combat zone, any enemy they successfully charge becomes panicked. This card is fantastic for synergies in this deck because it's another source of panicked, which as I explained at the very beginning, we're a little light on, so any source that's going to let us get panic tokens out there is going to be great. But really, you're playing this card to shut down your opponent's shenanigans. Uh, there's a lot of people out there that one of the frustrating units for them to deal with is Lannister Guards with a Guard Captain. This card here basically says, like, sorry, you're just going to die. Especially in the case of, going back to it, the Bastards Girls. Uh, you get to shoot into them. And if they don't, the thing is, usually when you're playing against someone that's running guards and a guard captain, and you shoot into them with the uh, Bastards Girls, they don't tend to do a lot of damage because you're only throwing four dice. So they tend not to waste that um, 
uh, order at any cost on that. And even if they do, if they really just want to trigger Lannister supremacy or something, okay, your bastard's goals don't really care about the minus two that much either because, okay, now you're at a seven. Whoopee. Um, so they're usually going to hold that ability off, waiting for that melee attack to come in there when you're throwing those six dice and potentially hitting them in the flanks. Then you hit them with a the winter is coming, and now that effect is wasted. They're going to get hit in the flanks with the uh, attack, going to sunder that armor down to a four plus, and then their morale is going to be at an eight, which... You know, um, assuming you have some other tricks right there, you can potentially make them panic or anything else. So, you know, that's just another benefit of this card. I mean, I shouldn't really need to explain how why Winter's Coming is good, because shutting down your opponent's options is just innately good. Uh, this is an aggressive army. You're going to be charging a lot, and so you're going to have lots of opportunities to trigger this card off. All right, so we've gone over Ramsey's specific cards. We've gone over the Stark generic cards and why they all just play so nicely together. Let's go ahead and look at our NCU options and why we have brought those before we get into the full like unit kind of deep dive and strategy. So my two NCUs that I've brought are Sansa Stark and Roderick Cassiel. Sansa is in there because I am a big fan of being able to just search and use any card I want when it's needed for a clutch play. With this deck... Uh, with the tactics deck that we have here specifically, the ones I will find myself usually searching out are going to be Cruel Methods to get that extra attack at the start of the round. Um, sometimes I will search out for a Our Blades Are Sharp, depending on the situation, if I need the extra damage. And then sometimes you might find yourself going for a Swift Advance. I find that really the two ones that I am going to go for most often are going to be Sadistic... Um, not Sadistic Games, sorry. Cruel Methods and Swift Advance. Those are probably going to be my two mainstays. Uh, the other one that's probably a third is going to be Northern Frosty when I really need to get some clutch sundering on there. But I will say that most of the games that I'm playing, it's going to be a Cruel Methods or a Swift Advance. Something that I do want to point out on this that I have seen some players make the mistake of doing is that for whatever reason, they will use Sansa at the end of the round before they have refreshed their tactics hand and to search for the card they want. Always wait until after you've drawn your cards for the round because you might just draw into the card you need and then there's no reason to you know, waste Sansa. Sense is also a chief NCU at uh, three points, and giving you some tactics board control at that level is also nice. Uh, is there any other NCU I would replace her with, even considering points aside? I would really have a hard time justifying not taking her, because I really like Sansa for the ability to just dig when I need to, simply because we do have a bunch of cards that are not the most situationally impactful, um, but when you can play them, it's really nice to have them. Like they, they can be clutch play cards. I really feel that way with a lot of the start cards, but Ramsey's and specifically with Our Blades Are Sharp and um, Calculated Cruelty, uh, those are ones that we can really, really make use of when they count. So for my next NCU, I have Roderick Cassiel. If you, uh, his effect is basically you're taking him for his influence effect. When he's influencing you, they gain critical blow. So no unit in the entire army has critical blow except for the Great Axes at their last rank. So this is never going to be a dead influence effect. Every single unit in the army can benefit from it. I'm sorry I misspoke there. The Stark Sworn Swords can get it if they um, use their Stark Fury. But frankly, they're such a cheap little unit, I almost like forget that they're there most of the time. Which I shouldn't do, but... As far as like prime targets go, they are definitely way down the list. The Bastards Girls benefit from this because they have a decent number of attack dice at six, um, and really they can use the extra damage output. The House Umber Berserkers are, of course, you're just going to up their damage potentially even more. 
and then you have you know your cutthroats they're sort of vicious again there's not really a bad option in your list that's going to make use for Roderick and gaining critical blow a lot of the effects that you have are also going to allow you to re-roll dice such as with the bastards girls and with our blades are sharp so therefore you can really press that advantage and try to get some sixes there critical blow uh, I am one of those people that because our blades are sharp is going to give me a plus one to hit so I'm gonna be hitting on twos with the majority of my units I will reroll anything that is not a six if I really need to deal some damage because odds are I'm still going to hit. Uh, I know some people are not a fan of that where you know they don't want to risk rolling a bunch of ones. Uh, no, I will do that all day long, depending on the situation, of course. You know, if I don't really need the extra damage, I won't. But most of the time, if I'm hitting on twos, hell yeah, I'll just reroll it because you know I've got just as much chance of rolling a six as I do a one. And if I roll at least one six, that cancels out two of the ones I potentially rolled there. So I like doing that. Other four-point options that you could have considered in here. Uh, you could have run Caitlyn. Yeah, she's fine. She helps the Berserkers. Everyone's aware of that tactic. But frankly, I just don't feel that I really need a lot of the extra dice from the missing ranks. If my units are reduced down to one rank because they're so brittle and fragile, they're probably already dead. So I'm not going to get a lot out of them by really sticking into... Um, letting them attack their max dice. I feel like, you know, Caitlyn's really good if you're running House Umber or some other units. Here, I just don't really feel I've got the staying power, and if a unit's reduced down to one rank, I almost write it off as kind of dead and just focus elsewhere on the battlefield. So, you know, I don't really value her a lot in this list. I can see her merits, but not for me personally. Uh, Eddard Stark uh, with his uh, four-point NCU healing version. Again, my units are such a glass cannon that I just don't feel like healing them is usually going to be the better option. There are times I will if they've been reduced down to one rank and I need them to hit that second rank, because another thing about this list is that there's usually a big transition between having two and one rank left, namely focusing on the Bastards girls with their attack die drop off, um, but not enough for me to really justify putting Eddard in the list. Again, I feel Eddard is really more so, you run him if you want some more sustain in your list, and here it's all about the damage. Roderick is going to be your number one source for damage of the Stark NCUs, and that's really why he is the choice there for me. As far as neutrals go, I would actually strongly consider putting in uh, Littlefinger or Varus as my other four points. The issue is that we can only run up to 50% of our list as far as neutrals go, and the math just didn't really work out. Basically, I had to give up a unit of Cutthroats and change them over for a unit of Sworn Swords in order to make that transition over but I didn't really feel that that was the better play. Now, I will say that in the long run, is there a big difference in the list between that unit of Cutthroats and unit of Sworn Swords? Well, yes and no, probably not really, but I just like having the extra House Bolton unit in there to trigger off of some of Ramsey's cards. And I feel that that really is, just helps me overall in the long run. If, let's say, I did make one of those changes, um. You know, I'm not even really sure if I would switch out Roderick for either Littlefinger or Varus. Littlefinger is not bringing me a lot to this list because the zones that I innately want to control, the tactics and maneuver zones, I don't really need to block any of the others. I feel that Littlefinger is fantastic in a control list, or like the Lannisters, and the neutral list where, you know, they want to control the tactics zone and the wealth zone, which sometimes you might not need the effects for. I feel he's a stronger choice there. Here, I, again, I want to focus on offense, so I think Roderick wins out. Varus, um, Varus is a problem solver, and he is a great choice uh, if you want to run that kind of luck element. Now, it's not a big risk because, yeah, he's on 3+, and you can burn through those tokens. 
I just like the consistency that Roger gives me. Although Varus would be another choice. I guess it would really depend on really my mood and what I'm feeling like. Giving me a small element of control on this list that Varus would bring would not be a bad addition, but I really feel that I can kind of get the same kind of benefit from just stacking the offense up with Roderick. And again, because we have so many effects that allow us to get plus one to hit or simultaneously cause rerolls, that I really feel that we can get more out of the critical blow. And especially because we have other effects that can cause sundering and because we're going to be stacking a lot of negatives on the enemy, I feel that getting those extra hits in is probably... Um, the better way to go. So that's why Roderick is my choice. Now I know at 50 points, a lot of people consider running three NCUs as well. That's another way to uh, another strategy, and that just kind of changed the list around a bit. But because our units, our combat units, have such low staying power, I really feel that we need to pump out as many of those as we can, and really make them count. So while an option would be to take out a unit of Cutthroats or a unit of Sworn Swords for like a fourth NCU, and then maybe a better attachment somewhere. I'd rather have the extra combat unit in this list because I just don't feel I need that much tactics board control. With this list specifically, I really only care about a couple of things on the tactics board. I am not so wrapped up in it like I would be a Lannister control list. Because, yeah, the healing part is nice, but I don't really care about the wealth zone that much. The crown is okay, but again, I have other ways of really punching through your morale and causing panic tests. Uh, the Tactics Zone, I always am a fan of that one, because again, it's another way for us to put out Panic Tokens and draw additional Tactics cards. But that's more of a luxury thing. If I can get it, that's great. Um, for me, it's all about the Combat and the Maneuver Zone. Odds are my opponent's probably going to take one of those from me, but that means I still have a second NCU that I can use to uh, claim the Tactics Zone if I need to. And again, the other two zones are nice, but I just don't really care about them too much, so I feel that the third NCU is not really giving me a, a lot of bang for my buck in this particular list. So those are my NCU thoughts there. Uh, we're going to get into the full unit breakdown now, which uh, kind of is the, the, I guess, the crux and pinnacle of everything we've been talking about and bringing this whole thing together. So I've been talking a lot about the Bastards girls with the Crown of Midwarden, and I have to say that those two units have been the absolute workhorse of this list. They're fast, they're maneuverable, they are deadly, they can get in where I need to, and they can mitigate most any threat for a reasonable cost. Okay, the Bastards Girls are not the cheapest unit, 7 points, out of Cranagman Warden, they're at 8 points. They need to be pulling the workload of an 8-point unit, and frankly, they do, just from the raw number of attacks they get. Um, having a unit of Bastards Girls attacking an enemy that has not activated is just a devastating amount of attacks of rerolls coming at them because you're going to get to reroll your ranged attacks, you're going to get to reroll your melee attacks, and it is just going to cause a lot of damage. And here's also something to understand that I think is a um, a bit of a, uh, a tactic or just general rules interaction that I don't think a lot of people really grasp until they see, and that's with the tracker's bow. The tracker's bow has the ability that if the defender rolls a one on any defense saves, they become vulnerable. So this is how this order of operations works. If you're targeting someone who's already vulnerable, you're going to attack them. Okay, they're going to make their defense saves. You're then going to choose to expend that vulnerable token at that point. If you do, they're going to reroll their defense saves. At this point, once the rerolls are done, the dice become locked in. At this point, Tracker's Bow is going to check and see if they rolled any ones, and if it did, it's going to make them vulnerable. A lot of people seem to gloss over that interaction or not really understand how that happens. Um, so here, 
there's almost no situation where you're not going to want to use that vulnerable token to cause them to try to reroll and get another one because you're just going to put another vulnerable token on them. Obviously, if you need that vulnerable token to hold up for the attack, you might not want to risk that. But uh, most of the time, I, if they're already vulnerable, I'll just you know say, okay, go reroll it. Especially if I got a good roll in there and got all four hits because odds are they're probably going to throw a one and now they're just become re-vulnerable. Then you're going to charge in. You're throwing six dice, but again, you have a Cranberry Warden there, so they're going to get the further rerolls. Combine this with something like Northern Ferocity or Our Blades Are Sharp, and you can just again get them seen amount of damage in there. The thing about the Bastards Girls is that they can charge something from the front and deal a decent amount of damage, but if they're allowed to run loose on the flanks, that's when they're going to get nasty. And also they're going to be able to work around targets that you might not necessarily want to be in melee with by just sitting there and plinking them with four dice and making them vulnerable for your other combat units. That's the thing I like about this unit so much is its versatility that it brings to the table. A lot of people, you know, they will run them and they will just charge in any situation they can. For me, it's I always deploy one of the unit's Bastards Girls in each flank and just have them go across the flank because then your opponent's going to have to go after them and deal with them or you're just going to sit there and start firing in a melee, potentially making them vulnerable and then have that crux just charge... Um, that moment where you charge in there and really help out, you know, a unit that they're already engaged with or a unit that they're going to need to try to take down. So they're not the easiest unit to play, but that's something I enjoy about this list is that you can really outplay your opponent with this unit specifically uh, if you learn how to use them. It's going to take you a little bit because, again, they're not super easy and they're a little tough, but once you master how they operate and how they synergize with the other cards in your deck, they're going to become a big frustration for your opponent. Um, the cards they like the most are going to be uh, Swift Advance um, and Northern Ferocity. Okay, so those are the two ones to keep out with them. So our one unit of House Umber Great Axes with Ramsey and Reek. The reason these guys are in the list is because they are creating a center anvil unit for your army. Then also a very safe place for Ramsey to hang out in. Another option you could be running here is House Tully Sworn Shields if you want to keep... Uh, Ramsey a little bit more protected, but frankly, I like units that deal damage, so therefore the Umber Great Axes are going to get stuck in there, and they're going to be my go-to unit for this. So Ramsey is usually going to be sitting in the center of my army because I'm going to be using him, and specifically Reek, to start throwing out panic counters via the set and example ability that he has. And what this unit is going to do is it's going to just march at the center field start throwing up panic counters and give your opponent a very bad decision of do they want to let me sit there and just whip out panic counters across their army or do they want to come up and engage me and possibly get hit by executioner's fury this is also a house bolton unit because of ramsey's affiliation so you're going to gain all the benefits of um those uh those tactics cards such as um you know, our blades are sharp, which is a little bit of a waste on this unit, I will say. But this is one of those nasty, nasty units to uh, target with cruel methods. Because you're going to be able to use your highest value attack die, reroll any misses with Executioner's Fury. That's six dice hitting on twos with a reroll that each one of them is just going to cause an automatic wound of no defense save. Or Mighty Cleave, if you need to just Mighty Cleave through something. Again, it depends on the situation of what you're up against. But this creates a really big no-win situation for the opponent, where they're going to have to deal with this unit. Otherwise, you're just going to charge up into combat with them. I mean, a lot of people say that's better to get charged by the Great Axes than charging into them. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with that. I never think it's a good idea to get charged by something. But this is one of those units that at the end of the round you can charge into something, hit them with Mighty Cleave. At the start of the round, you can go and go Cruel Methods 
and get some uh, extra number of attacks that they get their defense saves on. This is one of those situations, by the way, where Sansa is going to help out her TV show husband, uh, Ramsey, um, and go and fetch that card when I need it. By the way, I say TV show husband because if anyone who's read the books, you know that that situation is not not the same in the books for reasons I'm not going to get into, but uh, you know, read a book, y'all. Anyway, that is one of my uh, prime targets there for actually searching out a calculated cruelty and using Sansa is when the Umber Great Axes have gotten engaged with someone. And again, they're there to create a, uh, kind of create this uh, bedrock for Ramsey to be leading the center of my army and really creating that focal point for my opponent. The unit of House, uh, sorry, the House Stark Sworn Swords that I have in there, they're in there because they're five points, and frankly, I didn't really have another cheap combat unit to throw in there, so that's why they're there. I treat them as a five-point unit. They're there to go up there and just engage something, probably a more expensive unit, and if they get something done, they get something done. But really, I think every list needs a couple of those little fodder units that you don't really care what happens to, and this is why they're in the list. Uh, kind of the same reason why we have the House Bolton Cutthroats in there. The Cutthroats are even more of a glass cannon, though, than the uh, Sworn Swords. And frankly, the reason the Sworn Swords are in there is because, again, our neutral restrictions. So we needed more House Stark stuff. So that's why we have them in there instead of another unit of Cutthroats. Otherwise, they would, in fact, be another unit of Cutthroats. The Cutthroats are there just to throw at something and deal a ton of damage because they drastically outscale um, their damage to points ratio. They are the highest damage dealing five point unit in the game. They out damage a lot of six point units. But the thing is, they don't stay around. Um, a lot of people are going like, yeah, they evaporate. Like, yeah, but what are you expecting from a five-point unit? Plus, if an opponent's devoting six, seven, or even ten points to taking them out, then congrats, you're coming out ahead just by the fact that your opponent is doing just that. These guys, though, do have the potential to really throw out a lot of nasty tricks because they are innately House Bolton, which means that our blades are sharp, um, cruel methods, all those cards, you don't need to do anything special to get them to trigger this unit. So for your little cheap five-point investment, they can really get stuff done. But these and the Sworn Swords are there to go and camp objectives and, you know, really just handle the stuff that my more expensive units don't want to devote time to doing. And that's why they're there. They're there to just be cheap filler units that, you know, I don't care if they really get killed. I don't really care what happens to them. They're there to do all the stuff that's not really exciting that I need in my army, such as holding objectives um, and tying up more expensive units. The last unit we have is the unit of House Umber Berserkers with Roos Bolton. Uh, I So I had played this list initially a lot of times with a version that had instead of Roos Bolton with um, Rob Stark because he is the fan favorite to stick in a unit of Berserkers because he basically gives them de facto rocket shoes and then also gives them a, well, gives your army a free Grey Wind. That is good. I'm not going to deny that. I don't feel the Berserkers really need the extra speed. I feel that I really actually have enough speedy units in the army um, with the Bastard Scrolls, especially combined with Swift Advance. Uh, so a lot of people are going, but hey, you're giving up a free Direwolf. That's an extra activation, and you're, you know, what's Roost making up for that? So I will say this. It, neither one of these are bad options. I personally don't feel the need for the extra activation with the Direwolf, uh, Grey Wind. Yes, it's another source of being able to throw out Vulnerable in the army, which I'm a big fan of, but against a smart opponent, they're going to have something that's going to be able to kill Grey Wind off, or they're going to have some means of countering him. Uh, I know that when you are just starting the game and you know beginning, yeah, having the extra activation can really, really matter. And I'm not going to say that you know activations are not something to consider, but 
a savvy player can play around activations. I feel that the people that go, man, activations are everything in this game, you need to be playing against more experienced opponents. Uh, sorry, that's just how it is. Uh, the reason, though, I end up going a Roos is because of the things that he brings that are not um, overly obvious uh, to the table. First off, let's just look at what he does for them. He is going to give them Ferocious Assault, which is when they charge an enemy, the enemy becomes panicked. Okay, these guys are already causing Sundering, so if you're charging an enemy that is now going to be suffering minus one of the defense saves and panicked, you're hitting them on two fronts. So that means if the opponent has good defense, you're going to Sunder through that. If they've got good morale, then you can help, you know, panicked. Uh, panic is going to help you there. If they've got bad ones of either of those, you're going to double punch your way through there and just increase that damage all that much more. In addition to this, he has Prey on Fear, which is when an enemy engaged with the unit uh, fails a panic test, uh, the unit may restore up to two wounds, okay? That's not, like, on the Berserkers, they are a glass cannon unit. And I will say that the amount of times this has saved the unit or anything like that is very marginal. And sometimes you don't even want to use it because you really want them to be down those wounds uh, and down a rank in order to get them. But this gives them just a little bit of sustain. And I have found just that little bit can be a game changer at times. Uh, and it can really help you out. Okay, but really, the main reason why I'm taking Roos in here over, say, Rob Stark is because he does turn them into House Bolton. And Berserkers synergize so well with Ramsey's cards that it is just criminal how scary they become. They become the absolute prime target for throwing down cruel methods. Start of the round, you get Berserkers that now get to make a free attack action and use their highest value attack die and reroll any misses. Okay, so I get my free attack with 10 dice that's hitting on threes with Sundering. Oh, and if I didn't destroy you, you mean I suffer a panic test, a whole minus three? Oh, my berserkers though, but that means that that's, that's gonna reduce their morale to a seven. Shucks, what am I gonna do? And if I suffer any wounds, I just get better? Yeah, there's no losing there. Uh, our blades are sharp. The enemy is gonna become uh, vulnerable if I'm targeting them, okay. I'm hitting you with 2 plus to hit between 10 and 12 dice, and you're vulnerable of Sundering. You're dead. I'm sorry. I almost don't care what you are. You're dead. So that just, that little extra benefit, and turning that unit into such just a monstrous powerhouse, um, is why Rob just loses out. That extra activation and the extra mobility that you're giving to one of your already fastest units, it just loses out. Now I will say, something you can do is if you don't want to run Roos, you can remove Roos entirely, and that frees up three points to stick some attachments in with your Stark Sworn Swords, your House Bolton Cutthroats, and even another one-point attachment for the House Umber Berserkers. And that does open up a lot of list-building options as to um, things you can stick in there, because then you can stick a Sworn Sword Captain in with the Sworn Swords. The House Bolton Cutthroats can benefit from a Dreadfort Captain or um, a Kranigman Warden. Uh, frankly, though, with the House Bolton Cutthroats, leave them vanilla or give them a, a Dreadfort Captain. Because, frankly, the three Stark attachments that are at right now, they don't really synergize that well with. Because if you give them a Sworn Sword Captain, they already have ways to make the opponent vulnerable. If you give them a Umber Champion, they already have Vicious. If you give them a Kranigman Warden, that one's the one you can stick in there because it allows the rerolls. Uh, but I would rather have a Dreadfort Captain in with them because I'd rather get more sources of sticking out Panic Tokens. Um, with the Sworn Swords, 
yeah, for me, it's a Sworn Sword Captain goes with them. And then with the Berserkers, if I'm going to pick a one-point attachment to go with them, um, the Krennigman Warden is not a bad option just because, again, you have access to calculate, oh, sorry, Cruel Methods. But a Sworn Sword Captain is also good to make the opponent vulnerable. So you get those really two good options there as well. Uh, you can also stick in them a Umber Champion. That one is, though, probably my least favorite of those three because I already have units in the army that can deal vicious and deal panicked so i just don't really feel i need to add more of that into the list with this specific unit so while i'm actually uh, usually a big advocate of sticking him in there he's probably my least favorite option uh compared to the other two for the reasons i just cited uh, and those are the combat units that are in the list right there and that's just kind of going over the general tactics to use with them uh, let's go ahead and take this time now to talk about game modes because I feel that I have <coughs> kind of gone over some generic tactics as I've been going through all the units and tactics cards. So let's talk about the different game modes that we're playing and some general tips and strategies for how to use this list in as we're playing through them. This is going to be a bit of a, uh, a weird topic to talk about because there's so many variables to talk about each one of them and you really can't go every single game you're going to have this strategy because that's how you lose games, is you go into there with a strategy and you stick to it regardless of anything that changes on the battlefield. You need to be adaptive, you need to be willing to um, make those strategic and tactical changes on the fly when the situations come up. But let's go ahead and give over some basics. So for Game of Thrones, our standard objective-based control. For this one here, you're going to want to use your Sworn Swords, you're going to want to use your... Uh, Cutthroats to claim objectives and really just kind of camp down on those. They're really good choices to pick the back two ones, assuming that you're picking two of your objectives to be closer to your deployment zone. And then your great axes can kind of go up there and start contesting that center one. And your bastards goals can go around some ones that are on the flanks right there. Really, I think that that's kind of the general setup that you're going to have with this list a lot of times, is you're going to have your um, great axes kind of somewhere in the center, your bastards girls on either flanks, and then your other units just kind of in between those two, depending on what the situation might call for. The Umber Berserkers are going to be one of those units that just needs to be uh, a threat analysis unit. You know, pick what they need to go after and go and make that thing dead. Have your bastards girls coming to the flanks, harassing units and giving support, and then use your sworn swords and your cutthroats as objective holders. Ramsey's unit with his uh, great axes are going to be good for taking and holding an objective because that's really what they want to do. Create a situation where your opponent has to come to them and then you kill them. All right. Next one, a Clash of Kings. This one, I really like this list on. So you're going to be deploying your unit of great axes in one of the corners and then your other units, you can choose where you're going to, you know, who you're going to deploy out and who you're going to keep in reserve. For this one, I will keep the unit of Bastards Girls in reserve because them coming in from the flanks, shooting something, and then charging, and usually being able to do that in the rear, ooh, they really get to shine when they do that, especially when they're doing that you know, uh, against a unit that hasn't activated. This is another one of those times where I don't actually know if I brought this up before, but your, your list makes heavy use of the, of the combat zone just because you have that Sikkim ability where you can make that ranged attack with the Bastards Girls and then get that free charge action in there because you did you know, make a ranged attack. That one becomes a really killer combo in this game mode specifically. My second unit that I would keep, though, uh, as deploying out there, probably the Sworn Swords or the Cutthroats. It's probably going to end up being the Sworn Swords, just because they're 
my most kind of disposable unit, and the reason they're in the list is because they're a five-point objective grabber. The other units, I would much rather have them coming in from a flank forward edge and potentially getting charges off, including the uh, the cutthroats. The sworn swords do have a little bit of staying power, so if you're facing like a Lannister army that is going to just like just start zapping you with Cersei early on, then they're going to be better to hang out there than say the cutthroats because they do have that slightly better uh, morale value. So they would probably be my secondary unit just because I want to keep all my really good stuff to be able to come in on the flanks. If we're moving next to a Storm of Swords, our Siege scenario, which ironically enough, I actually just played that today. If you were the aggressor in this list, uh, that is going to favor you very heavily because this is just an aggression-based list. You, just with wanton disregard and abandonment, charge up there and make the opponent dead. Your guys respawn, and aside from Roos, you don't really care if any of your stuff dies and has to come back, okay? You are just, just run up there, slam against them as hard as you possibly can, and if you don't kill them and they kill you, congrats, your guys respawn and you can come back and do it again. This list has just so much raw damage potential that the fact that you can just now go wanton disregard with your units and just get up there and attack and attack and attack and have your guys come back, it's it just feels great. It also depends on which siege strategy cards you uh, draw. You know, uh, depending on how you're going to play around those. Catapult Barrage is obviously a really good one to get out because you can just, you know, help deal some extra damage and you don't really care if your guys die. Press the Assault where you get plus one to hit and uh, reroll charge distances allows you to get some, you know, really just nasty charge rolls out. So Discord, um, all enemy attachments and NCUs lose all abilities. That can really make for a clutch turn where you need to get some aspects of control in there. Um, the favorite one to have this list, though, is probably going to be the Long War which is uh, you choose a survey round. I'm sorry, you activate the survey turn, and then each time an enemy combat unit activates this round, it has to make a morale test or becomes panicked. And any excuse to get more panic tokens out there is just great. Uh, siege equipment where you can re remove terrain from the battlefield. If your opponent's savvy against you, removing some terrain can really be a benefit because a lot of people like to put up palisades to kind of create choke points, and you do kind of want to do a little bit of swarm tactics. They can put up... Um, you know, bogs to make things rough and hindering for your charges, and that is a big pain for this list as well. So helping to remove those can really be nice. Uh, Starve them out is the last offensive card. Uh, all enemy combat units become weakened. If they're already weakened, they become panicked or vulnerable. Making the opponent weakened is great for your army because, again, your big problem is staying power. This is going to help mitigate that some by just reducing your incoming damage. Uh, it's not as exciting as the others, but it's just a very nice little practical card. If you end up being the defender in Storm of Swords, that can be a little tricky for you because your guys do not have staying power and this scenario is all about needing staying power. This is one of those things where if you were playing in a tournament that for whatever reason was running the Storm of Swords scenario, I'd probably opt out for another list. But I don't say that with any discouragement in the fact that, oh, you know, you're going to lose the game if you are the defender in this scenario because that's absolutely not the case. The thing is that you're going to have a really, really rough first couple of rounds because you're only going to have half your units in play. Those units are not going to have a lot of staying power, and frankly, you just need to avoid combat at all costs of the enemy. And that's really one of the mainstays for that game mode is you're the defender. You need to stall out the best you can for those first three rounds. So the units that you're going to deploy in that scenario are going to be um, your House Umber, uh, sorry, House Umber Great Axes in the center over there with Ramsey, because that's your actually most tanky unit that you have. 
And then it's really depends on who you're playing against. If you're playing against Lannisters who are going to be a little slower, I'd probably put out the Bastards girls just so you can outmaneuver them and stay back and shoot. Uh, if you're playing Starks who are probably just going to be right up on you, then you might want to consider throwing out your Berserkers or you know, your Sworn Swords themselves to have a little bit of staying power. That's it's it's really with this list, it's about surviving those initial rounds and not getting wiped off the table, because um, that's your that's the biggest time where you're gonna lose. Once you're gonna start coming into the flanks, and actually get out there and start attacking, your bastards girls are gonna become fantastic at that point because they're gonna deploy out there, they're gonna shoot, they're gonna charge, they're gonna be able to actually help you out. It's just a matter of getting to the point in the game where you can bring those guys into play. Your defender siege cards are really going to come into play to help you out there. If you get a hold the line then you're going to gain plus one to hit and roll plus two dice. It's a mini version of our blades are sharp. I've explained to you numerous times so far over this last hour why hitting on twos of extra dice is good, so you shouldn't have to really you know, go over that. Uh, rallying the troops is a fantastic card for you because you have such good morale values across your army. This allows you to heal every time you make a morale test for the rest of the round. This is going to help you out a lot because, again, your baseline morale average in the army is going to be a 5+. So you're going to be passing that. You're going to be healing your guys up. Your guys are already glass cannons. So this is going to help them out even more. Arrow stock. Uh, this basically gives your castle walls sundering and plus one to hit. Or they can all take a free range attack action. One thing I will say about this card is don't play it just out there immediately. Sometimes you really need to make those extra range attacks, and so you need to take that in consideration. But most of the time, you're going to be using this to gain plus one to hit and sundering, which is going to create a nice little kill zone for your units. The nice thing is that since you know uh, your castle walls will probably be shooting into melee, your guys' morale values being as good as they are means that um, you're not really going to care about that so much. So that's just another little side benefit here. Unexpected reinforcements, a previously destroyed friendly non-character unit, um, you deploy them in short range, and they can, you know, they basically just show back up. I don't know why I bothered jumbling that up when I read that. This is a generically useful card. Again, I've uh, explained why just throwing the Bastards Girls, re, you know, throwing them back out there is just fantastic for the extra damage. Having a surprise unit of Great Axes appear from a flank and just charge into something and wreck them, you know, there are just very few times where this card is not going to be great. Parlay. Uh, that was actually played against me today to really great effect because it basically just shuts down a unit for a round. They, this one is more kind of situationally useful based on your opponent's army. If they've got that big Death Star unit that they, uh, they're really putting a lot of investment into, this can really shut that unit down. If they're not playing themselves like that and they have just a bunch of spread across units, then this can really make a clutch play. But overall, this one is really independent of your list. So it's not really worth getting to there. Last one is uh, Combat Chaos, which is when an enemy combat unit would activate, you remove an order from the strategy and it starts with three, and your opponent has to choose another combat unit to activate. This is nice because it gives you some extra control um, of what your opponent is going to activate, but this synergizes exceptionally well, going back to it, with your Bastards Girls with the Kranigman Warden, because you can force them to not activate a unit that's nearby them, and then you in turn get to activate and then get all the Kranigman uh, benefits that you have there so another useful card there uh, so in general when you're playing this game mode the first couple rounds are going to be where you have the biggest chance to lose the game if you can power through those and take minimal losses and casualties then you're probably going to be okay just because your damage guys are going to come in there and you're um, you're going to be able to do that the thing to note though is that the opponent is going to respawn you know all their destroyed stuff and you do not have a lot of sustain so you really need to have that fight go near the castle walls to really make use of your uh, castle wall arrows. 
And you also need to make it so when you destroy the units, they're back in their deployment zone and they can't just immediately recharge you. So make sure that they have to bring the fight to you and you don't bring the fight to them. Next one, Feast for Crows. So because of the raw amount of panic that we are throwing out in here and the fact that our units have a generally good morale save combined with cards like Direwolf's Fervor, this game mode really does favor you pretty well. And, you know, it's really good because this one's focused about killing units and making them fail morale saves. Both of those things are you're really good at. The only issue is that enemies can are going to get worth more victory points as the game goes on. And the problem with your list is that you don't have a lot of sustain, as we've talked about before. So ideally, you're going to want to start stacking early negatives. The Bastards Girls are another good unit for this because they're going to potentially cause up to two panic checks every single time they attack. So that means that just between the corpse piles on the battlefield and the Bastards Girls, you have a chance of adding three additional victory points onto a unit when you're attacking them. Meanwhile, you have a baseline 5-plus across your entire army to make your save on there. And you've got your additional benefits from having some of the Stark uh, units there as well. So really, this game mode, this list really uh, prominently features in it and can pull off a lot of cool stuff. So that's one of the game modes I really feel this uh, this army list shines at. And the last one is going to be Winds of Winter, our hidden objective one. And this one here, I really can't give any generic advice on because this is going to strongly depend on which secret missions you get and just that's going to you know depend how you're going to play things uh you have mobility so any of the objective capturing ones are going to help out you have ones where every time you charge in the round you're going to gain victory points that one is going to just you know help you out a lot you've got ones where you claim specific zones of the tactics board that is probably going to be the weakest area for this list but not as much as a lot of other armies would be and the reason I say that is because, as I mentioned way back at the start of this, you don't really care a lot about the different tactic zones on there in the fact that some the way some other armies do. Yes, it's nice if you get these zones, but you're not married to them. It might feel just like slightly less inefficient or a bit of a waste if you have to clean them, but you're never going to really be that set behind by doing so. So... You actually, with those ones that are like claim maneuver or tactics or, you know, whatever combination of those two zones, this list actually can favor that pretty well compared to some others that really, really need to focus on specific zones. Other than that, it's really just going to come down to which secret missions you drew and how that's going to impact how you play this list. Because this list can be played as very mobility based. It can be played as very offensive based. It can be played as very, you know, objective control based. And because you uh, have a large uh, selection of condition tokens via the vulnerable and the panic that you're throwing out there. Any of the objectives you draw that require you to spread those tokens out or consolidate them on a single unit, you're also going to be able to do those fairly well on here as well compared to some other armies which don't even use condition tokens to any degree. So overall I feel this is well-rounded for that scenario and it's really just going to matter which ones you draw and how that's going to dictate your play style. And that's going to bring us back full circle to the very beginning of this when I was talking about you know being adaptive with your list. You need to go into the battle with a general idea of how your list functions, but you need to be able to manipulate your battle plan and change it on the fly based on what your opponent does and the means of whatever happens on the battlefield in the game mode that you're playing. Uh, because the worst thing you can do is lock yourself into a battle plan and then just very stubbornly never deviate from that plan. This list has a lot of flexibility around it, even though it is a heavy combat focused list you can still 
make any unit in this list do what you need to do. You've got speed, you have offensive capabilities. The only thing you don't have is a lot of sustain. And if you recognize that and are able to play around that, this list will do wonders for you. And that is pretty much why it is my current favorite list to play. It incorporates my favorite characters, my favorite play styles. Um, and frankly, I like the aesthetics of it. I really am a big fan of the neutral faction as a whole. And as I said, um, currently your roster on those is a little limited. So I like dipping into the other factions here. And I feel that when I'm running Ramsey as my commander, who's probably one of my favorites in the game to play, uh, with his offensive nature, the Starks are really just the a really nice little gravitational uh, pull to play that faction. And that concludes our overview of this list, the general strategy and tactics that go over it, and uh, just in general how we're going to play that. So let me know in some comments below there if you want to see another playstyle explored, if you want another commander to get really one of these really full deep dives, or just in general what you guys would like to see uh, covered in other episodes, you know, general frequently asked questions, strategy tactics or tips or things like that you want to see. So go ahead and join me next time. Until then, take care.